0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: I don't
0: Podcast. Podcast. Hello, everyone.
1: This is Ashley. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to say my name now, but I think it was already said. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was weird. Ashley, Lauren, and Daddy. Daddy's here today. Yay, Daddy. Yeah, Dad, you got to talk into the mic better. You got to get all the way down lap. there. Yeah.
0: Okay, say Daddy.
2: Daddy. Okay. okay.
1: Well, well, if you guys didn't know, Naz is in Paris this week, so we are recording here at the Ike Daddy Home in Virginia. and We thought this was a good opportunity to do the I Don't Get how You Could Have Surgery and Not Feel It and Not Wake Up podcast. That's, yep, that's a great name for the podcast. But I was thinking we should
0: start with tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. And do we have any favorite Thanksgiving memories? Oh Lauren. Daddy, do you have one?
2: Every Thanksgiving's a memory.
0: Remember last year? What was last year, Dad? <laughs> last <laughs> do you remember? A, yes,
2: last year was a disaster.
0: Yeah you want to explain no we've explained this terrible thanksgiving like 14 times on here
1: oh okay but well the food didn't come but actually do you food. have a
0: memorable thanksgiving
1: i feel like my only Thanksgiving, like you know what's ironic i feel like my most prominent thanksgiving memory is probably the worst thanksgiving and that was the one where we went to capitol grill for thanksgiving was it just the four of us yeah i don't remember it we do that so often, like no, they blended together. No, we, no, 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 no.
0: Oh, I meant we go to the girl, the four of us so often, that yeah. it blends together.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's all. Really, really flourishing in Thanksgiving memories. <laughs> 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 and that, <laughs> I had Jared come here for Thanksgiving because I was like, oh, Thanksgiving is a bigger deal in my family than Christmas. Christmas because with Christmas, it's just the four of us. At least we have people over for Thanksgiving.
0: That's true. And we still don't even make a big deal out of Thanksgiving.
1: Mom and dad aren't very, like... They're not, like... F- Mom likes to decorate, but she's not very festive. Yeah, she does. She loves to decorate. Dad, do you have anything to say?
2: I don't like to cook.
1: Yeah, dad just hates cooking. He tried to make a reservation at the restaurant down the street. I will say it is five-star restaurant. Like, with what are they a called? A Michelin restaurant. Michelin restaurant is a Michelin restaurant. But dad tried to make a reservation for the restaurant today... After he already bought the turkey and the stuffing and all that shenanigans. All he had to do was make one dish. He was trying to, she tried to make, he made a reservation for 11 people. And he was like, so I made a reservation for 11 people. I know you're going to get mad, but, uh, should I cancel it? It's like, yes, cancel it. Dad has this thing called the five F's. Dad, what are the five F's?
2: Friends, family, football, faith. Food. Food.
1: Okay, great. Well, you'd think that that would be the most Thanksgiving holiday. The Thanksgiving like, thing.
2: You can do all those things without cooking.
1: Dad. That's so sad. It's so sad. You really would rather spend like over $1,000 and just cook and like be cozy at home. We're going to be like, like snugly
0: those on the couch. grandmas or mothers with no like, my parents taught me this recipe,
1: you know? It's oh, just, absolutely my not. My
0: parents taught me how to make a reservation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Except I will be using the stuffing recipe. Yeah, All right,
0: well, spring. that's our little Thanksgiving memory, everyone. You guys already had your Thanksgivings because it's Monday. You guys are probably really <laughs> bored by that conversation. We're sorry. All right, so we had a conversation a couple weeks ago. I don't know how it came up with anesthesia and how we don't wake up so dad do you want to like bring us to the process maybe of going you want to
1: explain that dad is an anesthesiologist, dad's an anesthesiologist.
0: and so it, like explain the process of like going into surgery like what do you do to prep and all that stuff well lauren i don't know about that question it's a little people, get, people get nervous like oh i don't want to go under anesthesia so like what do you actually have to do when you show up to the hospital the most- dad's
1: actually going to do a video about this at work so oh. that he can show the patients before go. they go in see people want to know
2: the most important thing that people need to understand is what you do as an anesthesiologist. Um, it's a lot more complicated than people think.
1: What you need to do is get closer to the mic. There you go.
2: It's a lot more complicated than people think because really what we're there for is to keep you safe. Um you know, you can think of surgery as kind of being an assault on the body. It's not obviously not a natural thing. Well,
1: that's scary. That's a scary way of putting it Well, down. <laughs> you
2: know, that, that's the way it is. It's, not, na- it's a not a natural thing. The body reacts to uh, having surgery uh, a lot of different ways. It's a very stressful physiologic th- thing. And it's our job to make sure not only that you're safe and unaware during surgery, but to make sure that you're in the proper condition in order to even undergo surgery. You know, there's a lot of people with underlying medical problems that put them at increased risk for bad things happening when they have surgery. So it's important for us to make sure that all those medical problems that people might have before they come to surgery are stabilized and well taken care of and not out of control Uh, Because uh, if you don't do that, you're you're at much increased risk for having problems during and after surgery.
1: What if people don't realize that they have an underlying problem?
2: Well, that's part of the job of screening people appropriately before they have surgery. They come in, you know, they, they get seen by their surgeon. The surgeon decides that something needs to be done and then that sets off a whole process whereby people have to go and make sure that they're in the right shape. You get blood drawn um, in order to find out whether there are things going on with you. You've had physical exam. You probably have a medical history going in there. You might know that you have high blood pressure or diabetes or sleep apnea or something like that beforehand. And if you do have those things, we have to make sure that they're maximally taken care of before they go to surgery.
0: Okay, well, so smoking is also one of those. So if you' correct. It so takes if you're six weeks. Okay, so uh, you don't smoke for six weeks before surgery. Correct. No way. That's what you I was You're not wondering. supposed
2: to smoke for six weeks before surgery. It takes that long for the your lungs to clear out all the smoke and residue from smoking. Ooh. So, yes, if you're a smoker, um you should abstain from smoking forever, but at least for six weeks before surgery.
1: So what happens... If you need to have emergency surgery and the person's a smoker.
2: Different story. I mean, you have no control over that. You just have to, un- you have to have an understanding that the patient's a smoker might have, you know, what we call reactive airway disease, have asthma as a result of their smoking, or even if they've been a long-term smoker, they might have emphysema. And that has a significant impact uh, on your ability to recover after surgery. Um, if it's not managed properly. So, if you come in for emergency surgery and you have a lot of these underlying conditions, you know, you explain to the patient, we have no choice. You're coming in now. You have to have emergency surgery. You're at increased risk for, you know, certain things happening to you because you're not medically um, maximized uh, prior to coming in.
1: Okay, so let's get to the real big question here How do you have surgery? And be cut into and opened without waking up. Or feeling, or feeling any yeah. of that.
2: Uh, well, let's take a step back, okay? Probably have
0: to, yeah. We've
2: got to take a step back <laughs> for a, se- a second. If you look at the brains of reptiles versus the brains of human beings. Human beings, guys. Human beings. beings there, There's a significant difference. Um you know, amphibians or reptiles or quote-unquote, and I don't mean this in a bad way, lower forms of, of life, brain is obviously nowhere near as complex or as sophisticated as a human brain is. Brains of lower, lower animals like that tend to, they react to things. They don't think. Um, it, it's a lower form of their brain that works. So if something happens, there's an, kind of like an automatic reaction to it. And as you go up through, you know, teleologically how people develop into human beings, you get layers and layers and layers on top of that automatic kind of brain to uh, a brain where you think, you have consciousness, um, and you react to things in a much more complex fashion. Well, our bodies have still have that primitive brain, but it's overlaid with all this uh,
1: cerebral yeah.
2: cerebral cortex. So, what an anesthetic does is it essentially puts to sleep the conscious portion of your brain oh. the, 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 the the higher level of your brain where you are you're awake you're aware you think um,
0: i would love to have that permanent but <laughs>
2: <work on>. <laughs> <laughs> so but your body still reacts to the stimulus that occurs when you have surgery so let me make this a little bit clear. I can get you off to sleep because I give you medications that put your cerebral cortex. The How do you portion,
1: target just that area? Well, you
2: don't. There, th- that's a good point. Uh, th- the drugs are made to target that area, but there is overlap, and giving medications that put the cerebral cortex asleep uh, d- has effect on other areas of your body as well, and that's part of being trained as an anesthesiologist is to understand that you're giving this drug in order to put somebody to sleep, but it also has these other side effects that you have to minimize or correct.
1: So you guys ever been sitting around your room with some friends and you're like, wow, we got great snacks now, but we forgot the alcohol. Well, that happens probably around the country a zillion times a day so at some point somebody got the bright idea of having alcohol wine beer liquor delivered and it's called saucy the alcohol delivery app
0: saucy delivers your favorite wine beer and liquor right to your door on demand now if you're in the los angeles the bay area chicago san diego or sacramento your saucy order will arrive to your door in under 30 minutes ready to drink that's pretty nuts under 30 minutes that's cheaper than most no it's faster i mean what
1: did i say you said cheaper oh okay i meant faster
0: For the rest of us, Saucy will deliver beer, wine, and liquor to your door in two days or less. Nationwide, that's really good for Thanksgiving. Like that already passed. That's really good for, for Christmas, Christmas and New Year's. Year's. Amazing.
1: Uh if you've got the Saucy app, you can get a fully stocked bar on your phone. There are no order minimums, no delivery fees, no running to the store, and for a limited time only, you can get. Fifteen dollars off when you download the Saucy app and enter the promo code. Get it, G E T I T. That's the Saucy app spelled S A U C E Y. And enter the promo code Get It for fifteen dollars off. Get the Saucy app today and use the promo code Get It.
2: Um, but l- l- let me let me get back to what I was saying. If I get you off to sleep using, you know, these medications that we use, and if you want, we can go over what they are a little bit later on. Um, it puts your, your cer- cerebral cortex asleep, but it doesn't quite put to sleep that area or that reptilian or amphibian area of your body that automatically reacts. And the way that you know that that happens is, I put you to sleep. I know that you're asleep during the surgery. All your vital signs are good. But as soon as they make an incision, Mm -hmm. your body reacts by your blood pressure going up, by your heart rate going up. Those are all functions of that lower brain. That the lower the portions of your brain, the harder it is to get them asleep. The easiest part is to get your cerebral cortex, your brain... uh, uh, asleep. Is
0: that kind of like when you're drinking alcohol? I don't know if I'm comparing this story. You're drinking alcohol and you feel pain less if you hurt yourself because you're dumbing down your cerebral cortex a little bit? That is correct. Well, that, Science. Good job, Lauren. That, that's,
2: that's correct. So the drugs that we use are generally targeted to, to affect the cerebral cortex um, more than any other portion of the brain. Although you can give enough to overdose somebody and you can put the whole whole brain asleep but you really have to overdose somebody but what we try to tailor to do is get people asleep unaware of what's going on don't have any sensation but yet their automatic functions of their heart rate and their blood pressure and so forth are still able to uh, be maintained
1: i still don't understand how you can just target one certain area
2: the the connections and the the chemicals of that area of the brain
0: people doing like labs they study years and years to make this medication yeah, that I mean, targets they, a specific thing correct
2: well, or, like by, or they find thing. it out or they find it out by accident I mean that, that yeah. happens also
1: that's a whole other like um, absolutely mind-boggling and thing like, as to like how you discovered a drug that can put to sleep I'm, one certain area how I mean it's the same thing of the entire world of drugs like how did they yeah, target target all this stuff. How did they do this over literally the past hundred and twenty-five years?
2: It's more than a hundred and twenty-five years. Uh, it's it was back in the uh, mid mid eighteen hundreds is when they all this started.
1: So how are they able to do it? Like,
2: well, they use drugs. Tell me the history I mean, back, of anesthesia. Well, that's a very complicated and and controversial area. Also, um, there were two men uh, who have been credited with providing the first anesthetic. One was a guy, a dentist actually, by the name of Morton at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. That's
1: where you went, Dad.
2: Yes, that's where I trained. And then there was another guy at Emory University. His name is slipping my mind right now. I'll, I'll come back to it. Who was actually probably the first person to have done it before Morton did. Yeah. But Morton... Publicized it a lot better than the guy from Georgia, and
0: this was all in the mid 1800s. Mid 1800s, the importance of advertising,
2: y'all. Yeah, it's all it's the, <laughs> same same thing. So Morton got credit for it, but um, the Georgian was the one who uh, who actually provided the first anesthetic, and that was with ether.
0: What's ether? Oh, that's the thing that you put over your mouth, e-
2: right? It's ether.
0: It would kind of be seen serial killer movies. And
2: actually, before that, in England, I may be talking out of school here, but in England, they used chloroform. And the, 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 what? How, the, how did the, they
1: not die? The
2: chloroform, well, they just... chloroform,
1: guys, if you didn't know, they, is like the number one like killer when you watch the Investigate Discovery Channel.
2: Queen Victoria gave birth, was giving birth, and they gave her chloroform at the time. I, I don't remember the exact timing. It probably was after the Morton... Um, Demonstration of ether.
0: That that can we if we're done with this explanation, or you want to keep going? Because I want to talk about epidurals. Oh well, Lord, no, okay. epidurals are far down here. All right,
1: far can down. Continue the on.
2: Continue on. Ah, uh, it's Crawford Long was the uh, the doc down in Georgia at Emory that gets the credit for the first anesthetic. If you look at it properly historically.
1: Okay, so how did he experiment on this? Like on animals? Because animals, you say, don't have the same brain.
2: No, these guys. These guys were doing it on humans.
1: Wait, that's so crazy! What in the yeah. world? That's like I, that movie we saw. What was it called, Lauren? Um, the where
0: you put you like die and you come age. back to life. You, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh damn it! What is it? Flatliners.
1: Flatliners. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um. Okay, so they don't test on animals or test on themselves. I hope you get good they compensation on themselves or like or on humans, willing humans. Human. Well,
2: these guys did it on. Willing humans. Okay, so if we can go back for just one second and talk about like the layers of the brain, and I told you that we're very complex because we have a cerebral cortex, but the amphibians only had these brain these brain stems. Mm-hmm. Well, anesthetics tend to put to sleep the areas of the brain from the top down. Yeah. So the first thing you do is you go to sleep. You don't have any consciousness of of what's going on. Yeah. But your hearing is a very, very primitive
1: oh. a very
2: primitive sense oh so sometimes you know there's a lot of controversy or speculation about this, but sometimes people say they hear things under anesthesia, yeah well, that's because. Possibly, you've put the area of the brain to sleep like the cerebral cortex, mm-hmm. but you haven't given enough to take care of that lower portion of the brain, which is the hearing. Yeah. So we always say that the hearing is the last thing to go. Okay. So sometimes you can think that somebody is asleep and they are asleep. They're not conscious, but on some unconscious level, they can still hear what's being said. And, If you want to talk about awareness, which is where I think you're going, um, there are actually two kinds of awareness that you can have under anesthesia. One is, if you're not given enough anesthesia, one is called explicit awareness where you know that there's something going on, you are awake and you feel something. Mm -hmm. And then there's implicit awareness where... You haven't give, you've given enough medication for somebody not to be aware or conscious of what's going on, but you haven't gotten rid of the hearing. And they hear stuff, and although they don't consciously remember that they heard it, it's in there. Mm-hmm. And if you ask some people the right question after surgery, you can elicit the fact that they actually heard something, although they weren't aware that they heard it. They weren't
1: aware that they heard right. it. Right. So well, the
2: explicit... Well, oh. here, so let me give you an example. There were, some, there were some studies done where the people got put off to sleep, and I don't know exactly you know, what drugs they used, how much they gave and so forth, but they would put them off to sleep and then they whisper in their ear saying that when I come to see you after the surgery, post-op, after the, the surgery on the floor, I'm going to hold up a pencil and I want you to say, bird.
0: Cool. Okay? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.
2: And sure enough, they go and they visit them post-op. They bring a pencil out and the person will kind of like say, "Eh, I just thought about a bird. You know, something like that. You know, that kind of of Hmm. study. That's
0: also the kind of the point of where you used to study with – Well, like if you play things overnight, you can retain the information, but you're not actually learning. I
2: actually did that when I was in graduate school and medical school. I would put a tape recorder in my ear and I'd fall asleep, and I know that I learned a lot better when that happened. Good tricks, everyone. You know what's
1: really weird? Well, I don't know if this – no, never mind. Okay, I I have a question about (laughs) –
0: with explicit awareness, do you see their heart rate going up and down because they're really aware? Mm.
2: It's, that is not a reliable sign. Okay. Generally, if people are light, you know, they'll have light anesthetic and they're not quite entirely asleep. Mm-hmm. Your expectation is, and you do see that their blood pressure goes up, their heart rate goes up, um, but it's not a reliable sign. There are people who have had awareness, explicit awareness, where they didn't show any signs of having high blood pressure and, um, and, and a high heart rate
0: now through December 25th the 23andMe DNA kits are on sale 23andMe helps you understand what your DNA can tell you about you and your family story. It's named 23 for the 23 pairs of chromosomes that make up your DNA. A 23andMe DNA kit is a perfect gift for everyone you love there has never been a better way to give a gift of genetic discovery to your parents siblings, aunts, grandparents and everyone else that's on your list. It's the one gift that you buy the entire family and will be unique for each loved one. With 23andMe's Ancestry Composition Report, you can explore where your DNA is from out of 150-plus regions worldwide. You also get a wellness kit where you learn how your genes play a role in your well-being and lifestyle choices, and you learn your traits and explore the genes behind your appearance and senses. So if you want to give an amazing gift that anyone would be so thrilled to receive— now through December 25th, get 30% off any 23andMe kit. Order your DNA kit at 23andMe.com slash get it. Very important to use the code G-E-T-I-T. That's the number 2, 3, and A-N-D, me.com slash get it. Again, that's 23andMe.com slash get it to get 30% off any
1: 23andMe kit. So get going on your shopping list today. All right. So let's say you're saying that the hearing goes last. So basically like once you get into that lower cortex...
2: It's not you, even... the you, It's lower than the cortex. Okay, it's not so, the cortex anymore. It's the brainstem.
1: So you hope to get there. But with some people, they you maybe are you worried about getting that far down? Because if you do get that far down, you literally could put a person to sleep to death, kind of like a
2: dog. That's an, that's an exaggeration. No, you want to get the depth to that point where... They don't have any, obviously, any implicit uh, awareness. You want to get that portion of their brain asleep.
1: But how close to death do you get to people? You
2: don't, you, you don't get that close. There I has, mean, if you go a lot further, you can, but you don't. Their heart doesn't
1: stop during surgery. No. But you're turning their brain off, basically, as much as it can go. You're turning their brain turn, off. Yep. In order for it to turn off to... Not feel or be aware. Correct. But you can actually turn somebody's head off to death, right? Not if
2: you over. Yeah, you could overdose somebody with with anesthetics. I
0: see that on ID all the time. You see that on ID all the time. Yeah, they steal drugs from like the drawer and then they go put their wife to sleep and then like I don't know what happened. She just woke up like this or didn't wake up like this.
2: It's a very. uh, This is probably not. I don't know if this is a correct way of saying it. It's not really a. uh, an easy thing to do to overdose somebody because in addition to us putting people to sleep, obviously, when you put people to sleep, you put their brainstem to sleep to some degree also because you stop from breathing. Your breathing oh, yeah, is automatic. You have to tell people. You though. don't. You don't think about breathing all the time because it's know, automatic. So that's part
1: of your automatic but thing, you, like your primal thing. But when, you turn it off when they have surgery. Correct,
2: and that's why you have to be able to breathe for people during the surgery.
1: Yeah, so people also need to know out there that you are in the room the entire time, or a it, nurse anesthetist. Correct,
2: either me or a nurse anesthetist, or both. And
1: they're monitoring your breathing and your heart rate and all your vital signs. Correct. Okay, so with um. The amount you give someone, is it depending on their weight? Generally, it's weight-based.
2: It's weight-based generally, yes.
1: So we had a lot of people on the message boards when they thought that this might be a topic on the podcast say that they have heard doctors talking while in the surgery. Mm -hmm. So you basically just said that that is actually relatively normal.
2: No, no, no. That is not normal at all.
1: Okay, not normal, but like happens.
2: Very rarely, and that needs to be explained. Okay. Okay. People sometimes misinterpret.
1: Okay, yeah, because we got a lot of comments saying that people felt awake during it. Like, out of the 10,000 people in our group, mm-hmm. there were too many people who said that they had some memory of the actual surgery while being anesthetized. Well,
2: again, that's very complex. And again, it does happen. It generally happens under circumstances where there's emergency surgery, where people are unstable, and you can't give them a lot of anesthetic because their vital signs and their blood pressure and so forth are so low that if you give more, you have the potential for actually making things worse. Um, It definitely happens. But generally under those circumstances, if it doesn't happen under those circumstances, quite frankly, it could be that, you know, somebody made a mistake and um, didn't give the drug they think they gave or didn't uh, turn the vaporizer up where we use our inhalation anesthetics. Um, It happens infrequently, but it does happen. Now... I just want to, it's important for me to say this. A lot of people misinterpret what their anesthetic should be. For instance, if you undergo a colonoscopy the way that it's generally given today with a drug called propofol and have a propofol infusion, people mistakenly don't call it a general anesthetic. Now, it's a general anesthetic in the sense that it gets you off to sleep and your breathing can really slow down, but-
1: But you're not breathing for it. But-
2: It's really very deep sedation. It's very deep sedation. And people can sometimes, depending upon their resistance, their size, the proper dose hasn't been given, they can can wake up intermittently and go back to sleep.
1: Is there a difference Mm. between being under the anesthesia that you do at the hospital and being under sedation?
2: It depends upon... We do sedation in the hospital also. It depends upon the procedure that's being done. Um... Technically, colonoscopies can be done with something called fentanyl and versed, which is when you don't go to sleep, but it just really sedates you a lot, but it can be uncomfortable, so, How so? well, I have to explain um, why a colonoscopy I- might be uncomfortable oh, yeah. so <laughs> oh,
1: so you might be feeling the colonoscopy yeah because it's because like it's it, or
2: it, yeah something. yeah. So if people expect that they're going to be entirely asleep for some of those kind of procedures or where they, where they do a procedure where they're going to take a bump off of you and they use local anesthetic, all you're really doing is trying to get people sedated enough that they can tolerate the injection of local anesthetic around the area that they're going to take out. Uh And that doesn't require you to be entirely asleep.
1: Okay. So question, is that like wisdom teeth?
2: Uh, You know what? I, not being a dentist or an oral surgeon, I don't know what they do. I know that they do use propofol for it, but I don't know to what depth and what amount that they give propofol for wisdom teeth extractions. Some can be probably done with propofol, with which gets you off to sleep like a general anesthetic, or you can give a low enough dose where you're just sedating the person to make sure that they're not anxious and can tolerate the injection of the local anesthetic to so pull the tooth out. is
1: that so painful? Like the...
2: The Injection? Local anesthetic? Oh yes, people don't like people like getting stuck with needles.
1: Well I don't mind it. Well, some, some people, people do. Some tolerant. people are
2: freaked out by needles. Um,
1: um, Lauren, you were you under anesthesia for your No, I teeth? just had an so I had both laughing of us, gas. Both of us had laughing gas because you wouldn't let us go under for our <laughs> wisdom teeth. And why is that?
2: Because I know the bad things that can happen and Because I, I you want... think
1: that an anesthesiologist should be mm-hmm. the one doing no. anesthesia.
2: Not necessarily. You know, there are lots of oral surgeons who are able to manage an airway, but I see the worst-case scenarios, so I want to avoid them at all costs. So I prefer... If you can
0: handle an injection for such a yeah. small operation, yeah. do it.
2: Correct. That's my that's would be my recommendation.
0: Okay, okay. so you mentioned fentanyl before. Mm-hmm. And I just... All I think about is how many people die from fentanyl overdoses. Yeah. Okay,
2: so fentanyl is fentanyl. a very, very potent... Synthetic opioid. Yeah, opioid is is uh, you know like morphine.
0: Isn't this what Prince died from?
2: Uh, uh, I, don't I don't know.
0: People don't know. just mix it with their heroin and it's it goodbye. Is,
2: it is described as being fifty to a hundred times more potent than morphine. Crazy. Okay? So, you know, you can somebody will take ten milligrams of of morphine to because of some pain that they have for whatever reason. Well, if you think about. Giving fifty to a hundred times that dose.
1: That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. So you now, so so, so you, you give like, you give
2: a, so when you give morphine you give ten milligrams. Uh-huh. If you give fentanyl One. you give fifty to a hundred micrograms oh, okay. of it.
1: So why is it becoming so laced and stuff? Like, how are we getting a hold of this? Well, people like. Um,
0: they just pretend... So I just saw a documentary. People pretend to have cancer. People
1: use it when, for like to get their pain away and but stuff. Like, why would you need anything more than morphine or like a big dose of morphine?
2: Uh, well, it, that has to do with pharmacokinetics, the, the way that drugs are distributed throughout your body and how long they last in your body. Mm-hmm. Morphine uh, hangs around for a long time. Fentanyl, you get a very intense... Uh, analgesia, which means it, it reduces pain from it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't last. It goes away very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like a jolt, but it's a bit. Yeah, it's kind of like a big jolt. That that tiny amount of fentanyl causes a significant amount of respiratory depression.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay?
2: okay, it's all about respiratory depression with narcotics. The reason people die from narcotic overdoses is because it goes to your your brainstem and it just tells and you it to just stops breathing. breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, a lady came out to me in the airport last week, and she said she was a fan. She was saying hi, but then she started crying because she was going home because her best friend's son died. Overdose. It was a cocaine. It was cocaine.
2: Totally different drug. But High.
1: No. Is it opposite? No. It was cocaine yeah. laced with fentanyl. Oh, so it's like an upper so and a like super down. Brought him, they brought him into the hospital immediately. They put him in surgery, but nothing. Damn. Really well, that's not very
2: surgery. Sad. They, would, they
1: would put him in something. They started doing something on him,
2: mm-hmm. but it's
1: just laced with so much now. But why but like it's cheap. Oh. It's very, very so it's like cheap. So crack.
2: Well, it, I, don't I don't know. The, know he, I just know that heroin and fentanyl or fentanyl. Fentanyl.
1: Fentanyl, fentanyl
2: is fentanyl. Fentanyl Y L
1: is just mix a lot together. Uh you guys know how difficult online shopping can be because you order something and you're like wow This is not as cute as I thought it was. This doesn't fit, and I thought it was going to fit because it's my size, but it doesn't. Well, we have a solution for that problem because you're probably a different size depending on the brand. And there's a thing called a tote that's going to help you figure out these issues. They're going to take the stress out of getting dressed. They're going to find the right styles in your right size delivered to you. And when you're done, you can just send it back if you don't want it anymore. Latote takes your measurements and ratings and learns not just your size in one brand, but all the little nuances about how you like your clothes fit. So they can figure out what's going to fit you best in every brand that you order. Rent pieces that fit, send them back when you're done.
0: Repeat simple as that. With La Tote, you can rent unlimited fashion. Just wear, return, and discover fashion that fits you better. It'll take the stress out of getting dressed. Like to, I just said, exactly. Go to latote.com. That's L E T O T E.com to get started. Enter the promo code Get It. Very important, guys. Enter the promo code Get It. G E T I T. At checkout to get 20% off your first month and again that's latote.com and enter the promo code get it for 20 percent off your first month okay so let's
1: get into epidurals because i know a lot of bitches it
2: you guys you know you're jumping around a lot there's a lot to say about i know i had okay. more
1: to say about that lauren lauren is really anxious Sorry, about i just know that a epidurals. lot of people have like their very strong opinions i know that's why we're going to get into it but um dad i wanted to talk about how like okay so you know how people obviously like get open heart surgery you get cut open blah blah blah, and you're totally fine because you're asleep and you can't feel it but what if there wasn't anesthesia would you die from the pain like they didn't do (laughs) surgery obviously in like the early 1800s because there was no way to put you asleep because apparently you know the body just couldn't handle that or control blood loss yeah so would you die from the pain
2: uh, you you couldn't tolerate it. I, you, you could sh- tolerate you it? Couldn't tolerate you couldn't tolerate it. You couldn't tolerate
1: it? No. Oh, so then you would die from the pain. I think you'd pass out uh, and then you'd continue
0: uh, home with the surgery.
2: It, it just doesn't make any sense because nobody's going to subject you to that. Voluntarily? <laughs> you know? be- well, I mean,
1: it's like <laughs> either a- death or the it's biggest like amount killing. of pain you I mean, could ever that hear. That would fe- be murder.
2: I mean, you know. What
1: yeah. would it be? So it would be death by you pain. You couldn't
2: do – I mean it's kind of it, – the reasoning is kind of strange. You just – can you die from pain? Yeah.
1: Uh, My pain alone.
2: That's a good question. Oh, I wow. Know, you know, I I would, dead. I would think somebody had have to be awful sadistic to continue to do something like that. To get you to the point where you would die from it I unless you're trying if, to be – somebody's trying to kill you. If
1: you're in the 1800s before there was surgery – They wouldn't do that. You'd be like, okay, well, you're either going to die from this disease or we can try to get it out of you. Well, <laughs> well, I would be like, well, if I'm going to die, at least yeah. try to get well, it out of me.
2: Usually the thing – back in the Civil War when – this was about just after this, you know, the Civil War when all this st- started, stuff started.
1: Uh-huh.
2: or um, The big thing was amputations. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah, exactly. You, they give you a shot of whiskey, give you a rag to bite on, and it came off. So you know?
1: precisely, I get they just they endured the, it. But that's
2: a little different than cracking your chest, right? And also, around with back your- then,
0: what you're talking about, did they? They didn't have like X-rays and all that stuff to be like, yeah. oh, you got a tumor on your lung, let's take it off, because like you'd be like, all right, I'll right. just die because right, 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 right. I don't know
1: that. Yeah. Well, Dad, what do you think that we've missed out on so far?
2: Well, it's it's not that we've missed out it's just i've made a lot of statements that really i feel sometimes need a little bit of qualification and so forth i'm really speaking in generalities so i just hope people don't you know don't think that i'm being entirely comprehensive here there's so much more to say about all these things we're just like scratching the surface it's important for people to understand i think
0: i just want people to understand in like layman's terms what happens and i think I understand he did a that. Good job, but okay. Do you want to tell us like when you go when you show up the day of surgery and like what drugs you give them? Sure, what to expect? At yeah, sure. what to expect like, like, the day of? Because well, that's well, right. so we, we
2: already talked about making sure that you're prepared medically for it, yeah. that all your underlying disease things are taken care of or and managed. Then you say you're optimized for surgery, and um, it depends upon obviously the kind of surgery that you're coming in for as mm-hmm. to what kind of anesthetic you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but if generally, we'll start off with somebody comes into the preoperative holding area. Um, they'll meet their anesthesiologist or their nurse anesthetist or both. They'll review their records and their chart with them, verifying you know their underlying medical problems, the medications they take, um, whether or not they've had any problems with surgery before. Uh, examine them, listen to their heart and lungs evaluate their airway, which is really important. By evaluation of airway, meaning if you're going to have a general anesthetic that's going to require intubation, which means put a breathing tube put into your trachea, um, how easy it's going to be in order for that breathing tube to be put in. do you put in once they're asleep. We put 99.9% of the time we put them in when you're asleep. When do you not? You don't when you think that you're not going to be able to manage the airway and, and be able to control it. So so, much so bigger listen to, people. It, well, it can be bigger people. You got or a people, terrible airway. Or people who have... <laughs> That's true. It's it's either large people, correct, or people who have had cancer, that restricts their mouth opening or they have cancer of the neck. Um, under those circumstances, this is what you don't want to have happen. This is like the anesthesia nightmare, all mm-hmm. You get somebody in the operating room, you give them all these potent drugs, you get them off to sleep, you stop them from breathing, and then you can't breathe for them, okay? Now, most of the time, you know, we have a mask and we squeeze the bag and we can ventilate people.
1: Worst case scenario, that's what you would do?
2: That's what you do. But sometimes, again, the anesthesia nightmare, you go off to sleep, you give them drugs that stop them from breathing, we give paralytics, We actually paralyze people before we put this breathing tube in. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do that is to open the vocal cords to put the breathing tube in. Mm -hmm. It's not always necessary, but that's generally what we do. If you get them off to sleep, you give them paralytics so they can't breathe on their own. And you can't breathe for them either with a mask or to get that, in, that breathing tube Why in. Why
1: couldn't you breathe them for the mask?
2: Because sometimes going- people's <laughs> tongues are so large, mm-hmm. and their anatomy is such that you can't. That's what when people snore at night, yeah. So a lot of people stop breathing because of their airway. That's sleep obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of people that you have to worry about something like that happening.
0: How many times has this happened to you?
2: To be able to get somebody off to sleep and not be able yeah. to ventilate them. Um... Yeah. I, can't, I can honestly say never because if that were the case, then I'd have to call a surgeon and emergently in order to trach, trach the patient, and I've never had that done. We have a lot of tools. These, these things were a big problem, you know, 20 years ago before we had all the tools that we have now like fiber optic uh, scopes and we have different types of airways that we can put in people. So the chances of these, this happening has been less and less and less has become more and more... Um, advanced okay. but it's still a possibility and if you see somebody that you think that's a possibility then you have to put the breathing tube in awake got it okay
1: now there's a lot of so ways you check out their throat and everything beforehand yeah. so you're like okay this won't be a problem
2: you there are things that are kind of indicate to you that yeah this looks like it's not gonna be a problem but you can also look at somebody and say hey this is going to be a problem.
1: So then you do it while they're awake, and how do they so withstand how you, that? So you
2: sedate them. Okay. You give them little bits of medication to help relax them. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, I'm getting but freaked out. But keep them breathing on their own. Um, you topicalize their airway. You give, they give yeah. them lidocaine to breathe mm-hmm. through so that it numbs up their mouth and their nose. Mm-hmm. You can do injections in the neck that get the nerve that comes up to your it's throat relaxed. to prevent you from gag- gagging. Mm-hmm. And if you take your time and you do all those things, then you can put a breathing tube in somebody awake and... and then they, right they don't away you remember them to it. sleep. It's, it's so as soon as you're, you confirm that the breathing tube is in the right place, then you get them off to sleep.
0: Because you don't want to be awake being like, am I breathing?
2: Well, you'd be surprised. If you do a really good job of topicalizing people and preparing them emotionally and preparing them anatomically and medically... There's some people who just will look at you and say, yeah, everything's good. And then you get them off to sleep. Okay. But it takes some time. You can't rush through it.
1: So speaking of horror but stories. But that's
2: yeah. 90, that's only like one-tenth of one percent that you got to do that. Everybody else. It's like one
1: every thousand cases? Uh, that might be. Okay. You know. So but to ease everybody's worries out there, because everybody feels like they're gonna be like the horror story that wakes up in the middle of the thing and like you know how you just said that you paralyze them. Yeah. So like they cannot move, they cannot speak, they can't open their eyes, they can't breathe on the or like whatever. That's correct. But how often does it happen? I know that you've probably never experienced this, but like Um, they say it's like one in every three hundred thousand that like somebody is totally witnessing um, the entire thing.
2: Offhand, I don't remember what the statistic is. There's a statistic out there, um, and uh, it's I, like, but well, I just don't like
1: three hundred thousand.
2: Maybe it is. I, I really don't know. I'd have to. But You've
1: never witnessed that.
2: I've never. I've never witnessed that.
1: Have one of your partners ever? Mm, yeah. Really? Yeah. Tell us.
2: I don't. Can't tell you anything specific about anybody.
1: Well, no. Tell us about what the guy experienced after. I don't, like I
2: don't know. I know that we've had. It, I, one of my good buddies, which I won't mention on the air here, uh, is our quality officer. And he's the one who has you know the most knowledge about the experiences that we've had in our practice uh, like this. And I, I'm not in a, a position that I can really comment on them because I don't know about them specifically. I just do know that we might have one episode of this a year out of all the cases that we do. And if that's, if that's true... Um, that would be about one in 60,000.
1: Okay. So that. Th-
2: and we never. Uh, we have to qualify this also. When we were talking about this before, when it was general anesthesia versus sedation, a lot of people remember hearing voices and stuff as they're waking up from their mm-hmm. anesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because they, they haven't it, been. That they it they was. can't play. They just think, oh, I heard something, and yeah. you know. So that's part of it also. People are misinterpreting. I bet you some people got into the recovery room and because of all the drugs and everything you get, you knew that there was people around you and people talking to you, people saying, breathe, take big, deep breaths. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't mean that you were in the operation and that was happening. It could have been as you were waking up from the surgery that that was happening or while you were recovering that that was happening.
1: On our message board, somebody said that they heard somebody like making fun of her body or something.
2: Well, I be- I can believe that happened. I mean, there have been lawsuits and episodes where people have brought, reco- you know, um, their iPhones in and recorded things. Really? You got to be very careful what you say when you get people off to sleep.
0: Yeah, I do remember that they were like making fun of her
1: body and yeah. stuff. That's horrible. Um, just to just really put the nail in the coffin on this one.
2: I did. Let's not talk about nails and coffins. We're talking about putting That's people to sleep.
1: Okay, let's <laughs> just have a stick to yeah. the heart. So you say one in sixty thousand cases there uh, might be something I, like that, but that's usually pr- somebody that maybe like isn't f- an easy anesthesia anesthet- anesthet- anesthetized. I, like somebody who maybe um, has other issues going on. You can't say
2: it's yes. That's a possibility. Okay. You know, right. it's hard, it's hard to know. Um, like I said, some people are harder to get to sleep than others. Um, People make mistakes. You know, we try to do zero harm. That's our goal in medicine is not, you know, do no harm. Mm -hmm. And you want to get to zero harm, but we are humans. We try to put processes in place and checklists and so forth in order to reduce the amount of errors that we make just like pilots do. Um, But from time to time, these things happen. And like I said, oftentimes... It occurs when people are critically ill and we're kind of our hands are strapped as to what we can give. Although there are stories out there and there have been episodes and there are probably people who are probably listening to this podcast that um, feel very strongly about this and have have had bad experiences and um, I believe them. Mm
1: -hmm. I heard about this company because I saw them on Instagram And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get that for Jared because he's always talking about Rhode Island. He's always homesick for Rhode Island. And this company called Homesick Candles creates candles that basically smell like the place that you are homesick of. Uh, Homesick from? homesick from i guess um it's a great personalized gift because you know how people will be like oh here's a candle you're like wow this smells great and like christmas but it's not really But you probably got like 15 of them and yeah. just step them in mass, a bag and mass he, produced them yeah and you probably have them in a closet just in case you forgot to buy it for somebody but now you know if you buy this kind of candle for the person that you're giving it to they know that you put thought into it it's thoughtful, it's personal, it creates an emotional bond. It's also one-stop shopping, so you can basically go to HomesteadCandles.com and you can personalize a ton of gifts. You know, you would be like, oh, my friend from there, my friend from there, my it, friend from there. Yeah, it's not only a
0: good holiday gift, but it's really good for people going to college, a deployed military, oh, yeah. weddings, anniversaries, retirements, visiting friends and family. It's just really good to remind someone of
1: home. And each candle is made from natural soy wax blend. It's premium cotton wick. With- and it's completely non-toxic. Think they're great stocking stuffers and they have scents that reflect all of the US fifty states and different cities, and college the- towns, and foreign countries.
0: Right now, our listeners who go to homesick.com and use the promo code Get It will receive 10% off any order over $50 and get free shipping. Knock out all of your Christmas gifts with this one code, guys. Uh, it's a great deal, 10% off in free shipping. Amazing. This amazing offer. And the most popular state and city candles won't last long, so don't wait. Just visit homesick.com and use the promo code GETIT. Find a personal gift for your whole list today.
1: Okay, Warren, uh, you can get into your epidural...
0: Stuff for now. Okay. Well, Dad can get into his epidural stuff now.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, actually, well,
0: people, you I guess, go
1: first, and then I have a little bit of a tip. Okay.
0: Well, people are, you know, choose to not have epidurals for, I guess, a couple of reasons. One is being they don't want to like infuse drugs into the baby and have it all natural, whatever, whatever. So, are the drugs affecting the baby?
1: Yeah. Like my friend this week told me that her mother in law is not okay with her having an epidural. Like she's telling her daughter-in-law, you can't have one because she thinks she's worried about it harming the baby.
2: Well, coming from a medical person now, I mean, other people might have their their own opinions. The epidural itself, the drugs that you give in an epidural itself does not harm the baby. It doesn't cross the placenta. Okay, but the effects of the epidural one of which is low blood pressure. It lowers your blood pressure,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we expect it to. If there's some kind of compromise of blood flow to the from the placenta to the baby to begin with, um, if you lower the blood pressure too much with an epidural, you can get fetal distress. Now, the way to take care of that is obviously give something to raise the maternal blood pressure. Now. B- People who get epidurals and deliver nowadays, they monitor the baby. They monitor the baby's heart rate. They do it either directly or indirectly. And there's a normal range of the baby's heart rate. It's usually between 120 and 160. And um, as long as it's in that range, um, it's usually okay. It's an indication that it's healthy. And there's also a lot of variability in that heart rate. On a, a baby, it'll fluctuate between 120 and 160. Um, if you lower the blood pressure and the baby's heart rate starts to come down, it's an indication that the baby's distressed. Okay. Mm. So you give medication to raise the blood pressure. It's something we usually give ephedrine, and you'll find that when the mom's blood pressure comes up, the baby's heart rate comes up and everything Does gets better. Does
1: the pain better. go up then too?
2: There's no pain. Okay. Okay. No pain associated with giving the medica- you know, that okay. medication. There's, I don't want to get too complicated because when you look at fetal tracings, there's um, there are things called decelerations and accelerations during the course of labor, and if you, certain things are indication that the baby's doing well or doing poorly. But to get back to what we're talking about, the drug itself, giving an epidural, does has no effect on the baby. It's only an indirect effect if you lower the mom's blood pressure too much or the mom's breathing becomes labored and she's not getting enough oxygen, then that becomes a problem for the baby. So as long can- as you place an epidural and you manage the mom's breathing, oxygenation, and blood pressure... There's no effect on the baby.
1: So when you do get an epidural, it is as if you're kind of being monitored as if you're in surgery.
2: It, you are being monitored as if you're in surgery. And
1: you're uh, numb from where down.
2: It depends upon a few things. But generally, it's usually around T6, which is where your, your stern, the tip of your sternum is, the xiphoid. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, you can get as high as T4, which is where your, the, your nipple line is. Yeah. And then all the way down, all the way down, so that so you, can't you can't move, move your, your le- legs. It depends upon how potent a local anesthetic Ugh. that you use. Um, nowadays, we try to use the lowest concentration possible, so that you get analgesia, which mm-hmm. means that you're comfortable, but you're still able to move your legs. I would love that. I just, but like- you can't. You not You couldn't. There are some things called walking epidurals, where the concentration is so low that you can get up and walk around. But um, generally, you stay in bed.
1: How do you push if you can't feel your legs?
2: You, because, well, that's the art of, of labor and, or, or obstetrical anesthesia is that you want to give enough analgesia that the pain goes away, but not so much... Uh, of a decrease in sensation that you can't feel the urge to push and to actually push. I'm getting what?
0: so nervous over here. Like, cool. I'm getting like nervous farts because <laughs> really? Because I'm getting more, ner- I'm getting less but, nervous. But this can we, to this.
2: I want to go back again about yeah. the epidural because yeah, you up. need to understand the science behind the epidural. Mm-hmm. Before we were talking about a general anesthetic where you're putting the brain to sleep. Well, an epidural, obviously, you're wide awake. You're yeah. not putting the brain to sleep. What you're doing is you're getting. a a medication, a local anesthetic placed where the nerves come out from the spinal cord Mm -hmm. and it's essentially numbing those nerves. It's preventing those nerves from transmitting information up to the brain. Got it. So it kind of gets cut off at the spinal cord level. The the impulses don't get from your pelvis to your spine and then up to your brain for you to recognize. Mm -hmm. It just stops them there.
0: So, so if you're going to what- get stabbed in the leg, you wouldn't
1: feel that?
2: If the, upper if, leg. If the local anesthetic were
1: <laughs> potent, potent
2: enough, yes, you wouldn't feel it. Okay. So
1: you basically are rid of the pain, but you can still feel enough pressure yeah. usually?
2: Yes, that's the that's the perfect kind of anesthetic. You want to reduce the pain, get on analgesia, but you want to have enough sensation so you feel something and you can push.
1: So, mom didn't have an epidural for me because it was all weird and it was. Well, 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 what's your explanation for
2: that? She went. She went for, for as I remember correctly, for like one or two centimeters to like fully dilated within like a, a half an hour. Ew. I mean, it was like Ew. it was just like holy cow. So, yeah. so there was no time. When
1: are you supposed to and get And you were
2: it? having D-cells. What's
1: D-cells?
2: That's what I told you. It said the contractions oh. of her uterus were so intense. Oh, I was
1: getting distressed?
2: Yeah. No. The contractions of her uterus were so intense that it was reducing blood flow to the, the placenta to get to you. And your heart rate, your fetal heart rate went down. Oh. So when they saw that, they said, we're out of here. We're going to go back. They thought we're going she was going to have to have a C-section, but apparently... She calmed down enough that they were able to deliver you with forceps. Okay, but,
1: but still, mom didn't have an epidural. She
2: did not have an epidural because for you.
1: Because the much window time. was too quick?
2: Yeah, yeah you, were, you, were already, you were already having problems, and to take the time oh God, to sit her so up horrifying. to put an epidural in and do that would have put you at risk. Her so at risk why too. didn't
1: they just put her on a C-section so that she could at least well, be a little more comfortable?
2: Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to put a pregnant woman to sleep.
1: But C-sections, but, when I watched one in no, eighth grade but, when I went to work with you, yeah, but, the but, lady but that was lady, awake.
2: Yeah, because she had an epidural in.
1: Okay, so normally with a C-section, you put an epidural in.
2: Or a spinal.
1: Okay. Okay. But in this case, in my case, they didn't do it because it was just too risky too already. Much, too much of correct. a high risk. Yeah. Oh, God. What if I have a high risk practice? Mom it, like- always oh. says that <laughs> once
0: you're at like two centimeters, say you're at eight or something. Well, you can't. They oh check no, no, you. Contra- no, the contractions. Oh, the the, the mi- contractions, ma- like oh. a five minutes apart, say well. they're like one minute apart. Yeah, what does mom
1: say that I don't know. Okay. You ask your mom.
2: You ask your mom that.
0: Very interesting. I okay. just don't like the feeling of being numb because that makes me feel out of control and makes me panic more, which makes me freak out, which no, makes me pass out. I don't out. think so. I oh, think well,
2: let's put fine. it this way. When your labor pains get bad enough, you're going to say, I want to be no, numb.
1: absolutely. I, I understand <laughs> that. So, But with Lauren, mom said she that it was like a teeth cleaning with yeah. an epidural. Mm-hmm. So do you really, when you are, I know you haven't done OB in a while, right?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Do you not but, do OB anymore?
2: Uh, well just like any other specialty the more you do it the better you're at it so you want the people who are doing it the most to do it all the time i'm capable of doing it and i did it for quite some time but i'm not a fan of ob anesthesia i like doing what i do in the main operating room where Mm -hmm. we do all sorts of stuff and do heart stuff too um but Generally, docs will gravitate towards a subspecialty of what they're doing because they like to do it and they enjoy doing it, and therefore you're better at it, and you want your patients to have the best people doing it.
1: So, do you, when you would be on OB, would people would like women just be like, "Oh my God, thank God, like that was nothing," or are they still like, "Holy shit, that was the worst experience of my life," even with the epidural? Oh
2: no, no. People are very – there's not too many more appreciative patients <laughs> than there are of women who are in labor and you put an epidural and you're like their hero. Um, and
0: okay. the pain of getting the epidural is There is no – it's really compared. not that
2: – it's not that bad.
0: No. I re- feel like I remember – Someone was telling us I it was like getting – um, shit, what, like getting your stem cells. I don't no, – like I, getting a, a – biopsy of your spine essentially. well yeah
2: i mean you're you're taking a lo- little needle with local anesthetic and numbing up the skin and then you're putting a larger epidural needle and placing it into the epidural space I'm which i'm not
1: concerned about that at all i remember watching a woman when i went to work with you once get it and i'd be like and i was like this is what people freak out about oh, so many people yeah. are like oh, i can't do it with that needle I'm like this woman looks totally fine yeah if you're thinking about holiday gifts, you know the obvious one it's FabFit Fun. The winter box is finally here, so treat yourself or somebody in your life like your sister, your daughter, your aunt, your mom, your cousin, your wife, <laughs> your girlfriend, your gal pal, fiance, fiance with a FabFit winter box. I kind of was talking to the guys there on some of those I know, and I know that there's like only 1% of guys that listen to this podcast, but still cousin, friend, sister, winter box, FabFitFun fun. Totally great gift. You know that I have been using FabFitFun for like four years now. Two of my favorite things in this winter box. Uh, oh, there's actually a lot of good things. There's this nude lipstick. Super, super good. Uh, there's a very cozy blanket scarf. And then there is my favorite beauty tool, underrated beauty tool of all life. And that is a jade roller. Stick it in the fridge. Roll it on your face in the morning. Freezer. And then you're going to depuff yourself so quickly and you're going to get all that blood and junk out of your face so that you look like you got perfect bone structure. You guys know probably already that FabFitFun is a seasonal box. So if you get this, it's not just Christmas one time a year or Hanukkah one time a year. It's actually going to be Christmas four times a year with full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99. But guess what? When you use our code, get it at FabFitFun.com. You're actually going to get the box for only 39 99 It's great for discovering
0: new brands and products. Uh, I have discovered many good moisturizers with this box. So sign and for exfoliants. F- and exfoliants. Sign up for FabFitFun today. FabFitFun boxes make an amazing gift for the holidays. And use our code it. To get ten dollars off your first box, go to FabFitfund.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use the promo code GET IT to get ten dollars off your first box. That's over two hundred dollars for only thirty nine ninety nine. Go to FabFitFun.com and use the promo code GETIT to get ten dollars off your first FabFitFun
1: box. So okay. Um, Lauren, you have any other questions? So I want to get back to
2: something else that you, you talked about. Now you can do epidurals. Okay. Or you can do spinals. Okay. All right. Now, people generally, or women who generally have elective C sections, will have spinal anesthetics placed because it's quick to do. It's they're awake, right? They're not in labor. They're not hurting. Mm. But you want to anesthetize them so they don't feel the C section. Mm -hmm. So they're quick to do. They work much quicker, and they're a denser kind of block than an epidural block is. Okay, Okay. So, like,
1: therefore, they don't really feel the pressure. They feel nothing. They feel nothing. Okay. Why would why go to sleep for surgeries then if you could just have a spinal and then like be awake with the with the netting over you? Well, so you because
2: it depends upon the kind of surgery you have. If you're going to have lower extremity <laughs> surgery, um, you know, knee replacement, hip replacement, ankle surgery. Um, you can have a spinal, or yeah. you can have an epidural for the, for that procedure. It's not a problem. If you you're
1: can, like scared of going to sleep, right?
2: But you can't be awake if they're going to go into your belly. No, okay, okay, yeah. because you're gonna, you'll be, you they they open you up. I mean, you could technically do it because you wouldn't feel it, but because they're going to be putting their hands in you, um, you wouldn't be able to breathe properly. It just would not be comfortable. Okay, okay? yeah, uh, and there's there's a lot of different things. Like now they do laparoscopic procedures where they don't do big incisions. They put little holes in yeah. and then they blow up your belly with carbon dioxide and they use tools to do yeah. it. Well, the way that they blow up your belly with that carbon dioxide puts a lot of pressure in your belly. Mm-hmm. You couldn't breathe if you had a spinal. Okay. Even though you would be numb, yeah. you may not feel it, you couldn't breathe. Okay.
0: okay. Um, I just have one question that doesn't refer to anesthesia. Yeah, I guess. I've got a couple of non-anesthesia um, questions too. So. The laparoscopic surgery. When you were going to medical school, they weren't like teaching you that. So when
2: I was a resident, when I was a resident back in the early uh, early '90s, late '80s and early '90s, laparoscopic cholecystectomies, laparoscopic gallbladder surgeries were just starting at the time. So yes, I started just at the time that they started to do it. So
0: surgeons like your age had to go back and learn
1: that to keep up with the times. Correct. How could they, like, if they're good with the scalpels and stuff, how do they know they're going to be good with, like,
2: the computer? It's it's a way – you have to get trained. You get trained for it. They have labs where you work on dummies and so forth first. And then you'll work under the guidance of somebody who knows how to do it. But, yes, you have to go back and get trained. Let me tell you – Gallbladder surgery when they used to open you up mm-hmm. could probably take maybe an hour, an hour and a half, maybe. You know, some people probably do it faster. When they first started doing their laparoscopically, mm-hmm. it would take four and five hours, and we would say, you know, anesthesiologists would say, "What are we doing <laughs> yeah. here? This is like ridiculous." But to their credit, what they saw was instead of having a big incision underneath your yeah, your I rib know. cage. Yeah it set you up for a lot of respiratory problems after and a lot of pain. What they figured is that people would get better and better and better and better at it. Yeah. And then if you could take somebody's gallbladder out through a little hole, they wouldn't have to worry about that big incision that they had before and people would recover a lot faster. Uh And that's exactly what's happened. That surgery, which used to take three and four hours back in the day when they first started doing it, I have surgeons who can do it in 20 minutes, 30 minutes now.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You have watched some episodes of Grey's Anatomy with me and a lot of the people on our message boards, they actually have been talking about Grey's Anatomy because it has gotten so bad. Just the the scripting is horrible. The relationships are horrible, whatever. We continue to watch it, but you have always, when, even when I was younger and the show was new, you were like, this is such a stupid show that it prevented me from really watching it for years and years because you always talked about how stupid it was. What, what is like a Grey's Anatomy or... Medical TV show faux pas that you would like to get rid oh. of for our audience.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, I, the first thing that comes to mind is how dramatic they they are. You know, when people, for instance, if trauma comes into the emergency room, it's like this guy's barking orders. Oh, you do this. Yeah. I want this stat. It's just a It's not that dramatic. I mean, it. it there are, there are certain surgeons and certain dots that can be like that. But in general, you know, this is something that you're doing every day. And it's not quite as dramatic as they make it look like on, on television.
1: Well, one of the things that happens in almost every other Grey's Anatomy episode is that a patient bleeds out. How often does a patient bleed out?
2: Um, it dep- I mean, in trauma, it can happen a lot. So There's it even- could happen
1: in the ER every day?
2: It could happen in the ER. It happens in the OR. I mean, you come in. I'll, I'll tell you, the, the thing that ble- the things that bleed the most in trauma uh, are liver injuries and splenic injuries. So, if you're in an automobile accident, and you fracture your liver or rupture your spleen or something, you can really bleed out bad. Or if it's such a bad accident that you transect your aorta, yeah, Jesus. you're going oh, you know, yeah. you can you can bleed out.
0: Um, uh, it's that's usually even-
2: it's usually traumas that people will bleed out from um, that's
0: not even the craziest shit that happens on grismite like Ooh, we they all have know like what they, s- they only have out, like but- Two cardiac surgeons for the entire hospital. Well, yeah. so well how, how, that,
2: that may not be two? unusual. There's, there's some some hospitals that don't have one. It depends upon how much. Okay, heart and then they
0: when they like have a heart transplant, some kind of transplant, the the cardiac guy takes it out and then flies it across the country to put it in the new person. They do that, really? Yeah, I thought this was bullshit the whole time. No,
2: I mean no, when you do organ transplants, we have yeah people fly in from all over the country. Generally, it's regional, you yeah. know. But yeah, you can have people coming because in from all over. Because
1: it's whoever's on the next waiting list. Who's and who, waiting who's a
2: match. So that's, whoever's a yeah, proper tissue fly, match.
1: They
0: fly the organ, but not the surgeon. The surgeon,
2: they no, fly it. No, the sur- usually surgeons work in teams. So for instance, you know, in my hospital, if we have eight or nine cardiac surgeons, that, that might be overstating it a little bit. But a, a couple of them do transplants and they work in teams. There'll be somebody on the team that'll actually go out and pro- procure uh-huh. the organ and there's you the mean other pick one it up? they'll pick it up and then <laughs> That's right okay. well procurers do not only pick it up they will go out and they will operate on the donor to take it out of them
1: oh they will and yes. then they'll go and do it and to then, the person who's receiving well
2: it? they'll help out the other surgeon potentially could help out the other surgeon who's going to be putting it in mm. uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be but generally it's not the person who's going out picking it up that's coming back and putting it in somebody's okay, going but, but out,
1: often Surgeons will travel across oh,
2: Absolutely. They, we get people from, you know, New York City, uh, John Hopkins, oh. uh, yeah, all, you know, all over the place. Is that
1: via helicopter or are you no, like? jets. So is it like a private jet? Surgeons yeah. go yeah, on private jets? There's
2: consortiums. There are transplant consortiums, they're called, that provide all these things. It, well, it's, um, Washington has one. Um, you know, yeah. There Who are- the
0: hell knew that Grey's Anatomy was? Accurate I honestly there. thought that was one of the most bullshit things they did. <laughs> yeah, me too. No, no, no,
2: that's that's real.
0: Okay, so then they also now
2: uh, there are other th- organs like like kidneys. Yeah, kidneys can get shipped. They get shipped in a box with like ice packed I'm in and overnight everything. This kidney. Yeah, exactly, because a kidney. A kidney can be transplanted within 24 hours. It can actually stay outside the body for 24 hours. Now you want to get it in as fast as possible, but that's one organ that can maintain the ischemic time, meaning no blood flow, because of the preservatives that they pump through it, so that it can last 24 hours before you put it in the heart. The heart could be like seven. Yeah, I. I, You know what? It's been a while since I've done heart transplants. I don't know what the timing is there. There, you like want it. You want it, fa- you know, fast because the heart, you know, doesn't tolerate ischemia very well.
1: Okay, um, I got one more question about Gray's anatomy. <laughs> uh, people, they are always having a patient die on the table during surgery. How often does a patient die on the table? Not, not, not often. often. No. The,
2: again, people who generally die in the operating room Trauma. are traumas. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's it's infrequent occurrence.
1: Okay, that's
0: sad and scary. I have. Um, I, I mean, thought- it happens.
2: That- it happens, but it's an infrequent. Uh, is
1: that your last question is.
0: No, I have one more.
1: Okay, do one more. Uh, I actually have two more. Okay. So today I went to the ENT, the ear, nose, and throat doctor, because I have chronic. Well, stuffy nose.
0: <laughs> chronic stuffy nose. If you can't
1: <laughs> tell, I have a very nasal voice, and it's because I can't really get a lot of air in there. And we got that checked out today. But I told my dad yesterday when I had to go for the CT scan uh, of my. Of my sinuses, I was like, "Why don't everybody just go? Why to, don't everybody? Why doesn't everybody <laughs> just go get a like MRI each year, and that's their checkup? Because can we really figure out through like a doctor's, like an internist checkup, where they like check your reflexes, your eyes, your pee, and like take some blood if you have a brain tumor or like some other issue?" And if we had an MRI each year, we would really be able to see if there is something really growing in our bodies. So dad, why don't we do this?
2: It's more complex than that. But you
1: did say yesterday that would be an ideal world. It
2: would be. I mean, that's kind of like Star Trek, you know, I don't know if you watch Star Trek, but they used to put people in this machine and they could figure out what was wrong with them. And I guarantee you that's where we're going to down the road. I don't know how long it's going to be before we get there, but, you're talking about. Let's just talk about this country alone. There's third 330 million people. Mm-hmm. Are you going to scan 330 million people? No, obviously. So you're going to have to have some cutoff. You're going to say, well, we're going to scan everybody over the age of 40. Yeah. And now, well, okay, that cuts us down to what? I don't know, 150, 160 million people. Mm-hmm. You don't have enough scanners and enough time probably to scan that many people. And then how often are you going to do it? you got to decide how often you're going okay, to do sure. it. Okay,
1: sure. Maybe not once a year, but what about every other year?
2: I don't know. You're, you're bringing up a good point, and I think we're probably going to get there. Um, I just don't think that it's feasible at this point in time because we haven't gotten there technologically. Well, you're, the other mistake that you're making is that you're you're implying that every medical problem is an anatomical problem, where you have a tumor. Oh, okay. That's not true. People leukemia. have leukemia. People have heart disease. People. Have, so you can put all those people through the scanner. So heart that doesn't disease mean, wouldn't
1: show up on it.
2: Well, there are scans. There are the things called heart scans, um, where they do calcium scores to see whether or not you have calcium buildup in your coronary arteries and can predict whether you're at risk for heart disease. Um, they're also called MRAs and they're MRAs or magnetic resonance, uh, angiograms where instead of putting up a, a catheter into somebody's heart and shooting dye into the coronary arteries, you can see what the blood flow is like. So all I'm saying is you could scan everybody in the world, but there's a lot of medical problems that you're not going to be able to see anything, anything on.
1: What about sure that the dogs are okay down there what about um you know the scariest disease i think there ever is the lou garrett's disease would that show up on a skin
2: nope
1: that's horrifying there you
2: go
0: ash oh lord everyone just you know live your life and then hope you don't have anything inside you uh my final question is something (laughs) (laughs) i love when ashley plays what's his name
1: oh yeah i know uh james Living. okay ask the james living question when you're done really yeah okay um dad we talked about this a couple of days ago. Do you think the drug companies have the cure for cancer, but they're not? If they don't, they're going to release it because no. it, they make too much money. No, doesn't make any sense. If they found the cure for it, no. then, then they, they would have, have to money sell the yeah. drug for money. No. Yeah, for yeah. a lot, they'd be making money. But off you don't. The drug, cancer,
2: right? you know, cancer is just not one disease. It's hundreds, if not thousands, of different kinds of cancers that are due to lots of different things. You, know, you obviously, it gets down to genetic level. But you know what? One medicine for one cancer does not work for another cancer because there's two different reasons why that cancer has occurred. I no, I don't think there's some kind of grand conspiracy where drug companies are holding on to drugs because of economic reasons. Because doesn't I, that
1: not make sense? Because wouldn't they be selling the drug for a ton of money too, yeah. and like therefore you'd still have to buy their mm, expensive drugs?
2: I mean, not necessarily from from a you know societal perspective. If they had cures for, you know, you're, you're going to hold people hostage to say, "I got this drug to cure you, but it's too expensive; you can't use it. We're not going to give it to you."
1: No, what do you mean? The, pe- the people would still. Oh, yeah, I don't know. What would you do if you had the cure all and then you had to pay like a million dollars for it? The- right. Yeah.
2: I mean, you couldn't. You wouldn't do that. You, you wouldn't do that. No. How
1: could they not do that? Don't they have the right to do that?
2: Uh, they might. They might. They might have the. The economic right to do it they don't have the moral right to do it are there moral rights oh we're getting we're going far down down the field (laughs) you know i'm as i'm as entrepreneurial and (laughs) as you know as anybody else but i do believe that we have some social responsibility to do certain things also right i mean
0: i hope so Ash asked a James Lipton question. All right, father. And then I have one James Lipton question. Oh, really? Okay. All right, wait, dad. So you know, medical shit's a little heavy. Do you have a good doctor joke that you tell people to calm down? Like, what you do you a,
1: say um, when you
2: introduce you
0: yourself t- to you patients? Had, yeah, you have easing jokes. Yeah,
1: people love dad.
2: Well, I yeah, I got a couple. Okay. Uh, okay. You want me to tell them? Yeah. Well, you've already heard them. Okay.
1: We don't well, care, our audience has our it. Audience has There's thousands. sixty thousand people out there listening.
2: Um. Well, the one that I usually tell, which is not dirty, is, um, you know, that whole why do do, uh, Norwegian ships have barcodes on the side of them?
1: Norwegian ships? Ships.
2: Norwegian ships. You know, the Norwegian Navy. Yeah, yeah. All their ships, they have barcodes on the side. What? Yeah.
0: Why do they They have barcodes on the side?
2: The Scandinavian.
0: Ah, the Scandinavian. Um, that's very funny okay. I do
2: have a dirty joke but I'm not going to tell that on the air How
1: you dirty, can do you tell, tell your patients that? that I
2: do but I tell them don't report me <laughs> <laughs> oh okay that's, that's really
1: does yeah, it loosen them up though oh they love it <laughs> so you great, say I'm going to tell you a dirty joke it's right a now?
2: no idea joke but I'm not oh, going yeah. there I
1: think I've actually
0: told that on the uh, air <laughs> okay well I'm not I'm not going <laughs> um, there oh, okay okay yeah so Ashley has a James Living question well, I do
1: but now I want to tell I want dad to talk about exactly what he says to every patient when he goes in the little pre-op area
2: well, you know, I don't have a I don't have a canned routine. You know, it, it depends. It, you know, all patients are different. You try Can you and
1: vibe them and be like, oh, uh, she's not going to oh, like a- jokes. Oh, absolutely.
2: <laughs> and sometimes you're wrong, um, but you know, you, it, it, there's no real canned talk. You kind of get a feel for the patient. Every patient's different. Every patient has a different level of anxiety. And quite frankly, what we haven't talked about up until now is that part of my job without giving drugs and so forth, is try to instill a sense of confidence in somebody that you're going to be taking care of them because that's another unusual thing about my specialty yeah. is that you don't have any relationship with it. You're meeting somebody for the first time before they're having one of the most traumatic mm-hmm. things that can you know you can go through. Mm-hmm. So in addition to giving drugs to make people feel better, you're trying to joke with them a little bit if you think it's appropriate to do and loosen them up. And then what's really important is for you in a very short period of time to convey to them that you're qualified, confident, and experienced enough to take care of them, that they feel comfortable that they're putting your their lives in your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that interaction in the beginning is very, very important.
0: Going into my surgery, I don't think I've laughed more, honestly. I was like... Everything was funny, but then also I got the funny drugs. You got verse said. Yeah, and I was like, I remember being wheeled in, just giggling my ass. <laughs> you were also that's, super that's, excited to get your yeah. nose down. That's yeah.
2: usually <laughs> well, that's usually what uh, kids and adolescents do when they get verse said. They, yeah. they, they just laugh at every, everything. <laughs> just
1: laugh. I was like, bye, dad. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) I wish I was there. Wait. I think you were there, Ashley. I think I was there. Oh, bummer. Wait. You were going into ninth grade, so Mm. I was going into twelfth grade. Yeah. That's so crazy. You were a child. Yeah. I was a baby. Okay, Dad. This is the last question. This is a James Lipton
2: question. What's a James Lipton question? Do You know James
1: Lipton from Inside the the Actors actor's Studio? studio.
2: The what?
0: Inside the Actors Studio? No, I don't know. No. Okay. Well, he asks the same question to every guest.
1: Yeah. So he goes, if God does exist... What do you want him to say to you when you reach the pearly gates?
2: You did a good job
1: oh yeah that's so
0: nice very good he's gonna say that
2: okay i hope okay. so
0: all right everyone thank you so much for listening and buy all the ads that we do because i need your support in life <laughs> Because lauren I'll, has to move out soon i gotta move out so it'll be really helpful um also rate subscribe and join our facebook group because it is lit af in there
1: yeah and we also love it when you guys write in the message board about what you thought about every episode we really do that's our favorite very feedback constructive of the week. criticism yeah. as well So thank you so much. We love you. Dad, do you have any last words?
2: Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: I don't get it. Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast
0: Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.